Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Leadership comes in different forms, and this week's guest established his reputation as an elite leader through his inspirational on-field deeds in one of the world's most brutal football codes, Rugby League. But Laurie Daly says that was the easy part, transitioning to a coaching role where he had to put into practice other leadership methods is one of his greatest achievements. This is the Playmaker's Playbook, brought to you by Build Corp, celebrating 30 years of continual learning and successful partnering. Hello, I'm Nick McArdle, host of the Playmakers Playbook. If you want to be a better leader in business, sport or the everyday, or if you simply love a good story, this podcast is for you. The word great gets thrown around so much in sport it can sometimes lose its meaning. But Laurie Daly is a true rugby league great. A one-club player, almost 250 games and three premierships with the Canberra Raiders. He played 26 times for New South Wales and 26 times for Australia. He's coached and captained New South Wales to Origin Series victories, one of only three men to do that. And importantly, he's as respected nowadays for his work in the media as he ever was for his deeds on the field. And that is saying something. Daly, pressure is down into Daly. Daly, he does it himself. With Elias again on the third tackle. Stewart across for Daly. skills from this young man Laurie Daly that uh, has had a lot of people suggesting he's the best player in the world. Laurie Daly thanks for joining us on the Playmakers Playbook. No worries Nick. Um, it is really good to, to catch up and I just wanted to get you first up on uh, the state of rugby league at the moment and we're talking about leadership and, and Peter Volandis talk about you know running through brick walls to get his game back on the sporting landscape and and the first to do it what have you made of his leadership first up uh, it's been aspirational and inspirational at the same time um, he has uh, attacked it uh, head-on um, in challenging circumstances goes um, to show if you're determined you have a terrific appetite for hard work you can make things happen. And that's exactly what Peter Volandis has been able to do. He's come along at a great time for rugby league. We all know his track record with racing, um, but he's been able to deliver a similar impact in rugby league. Um, you know, there's some things there that I just shook my head at thinking no way in the world is this possible. But then you sit back and you watch it unfold and he's created it and you just go, wow. Yeah, I think um, the May twenty—it was May twenty-eight, wasn't it? The the return, yeah. and when he first put that date out there, we're just—I'm just thinking, come on, mate, get off the grass. There's no way. Look at look at the world at that stage, and um, and he made it happen. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people sat back and thought, well, how can this actually happen when you see what's going on around the world? And the thing I loved about Peter was he was all about the facts and all about working on the data that was presented to him. And that was the reason why they shut the game down in the first place, because they knew that the cases were getting out of control. But with the cases coming back and and coming down regularly, he, he said, well, why can't we? Uh, aim for this particular date. Working with the governments, not putting the players in the wrong situation, uh, in a in a bad situation. Uh, making sure they're not taking any uh, health risk with the players or coaching staff or people that have to uh, work at the ground. Uh, it was all based on safe and healthy and biosecurity experts. Um, and he's worked with the government and now has got things up and running. And it's a true testament to him that he's been able to get things done. And in terms of uh, if you if you boil that down and, and look at aspects of leadership and uh, in that situation, is that about shutting out some of the noise and, and the naysayers, the people who are there saying, well, you can't do that and just well, pu- I, pushing on with what you believe is the right thing? Well, well I think you've always have to have a plan. Uh, hope is not a plan, but you've got to believe in what you do. Um, and no doubt he sat down at a, at a war cabinet meeting and he has discussed um, – everything about the game, um, the struggles that they're, they're facing, the challenges that they're facing, and, and how do we attack this and how do we get the game back up and running. Um, so he's worked out his plan and then he's delivered it. Um, and that's through a lot of hard work, not deviating, working on the facts uh, and being prepared to take people to task um, if things aren't happening at the right speed. And, that, and that's similar to a, a football team. It's similar to any organisation. You need people there that, that uh, know their job inside out, they know what they have to do, uh, and they go and get it done. It's all about that process. It's all about being a part of that team and knowing that you're just as important as an ex-bloke and things can fall apart pretty quickly if you just don't do your job. All right. Uh, Leadership in rugby league, we've got plenty to talk about with you on that topic, but let's take it all the way back to the start. You are one of uh, eight kids growing up in June, and as I understand it, you didn't you didn't have much growing up. You had a, a great family, but in terms of material possessions and and money to, to throw around, there wasn't much there, Loz. No, there wasn't, Nick. Uh, you know, we came from a uh, you know a background where Dad obviously had to work, and um, he had to work uh, numerous jobs just to put food on the table and, and put clothes uh, on the family. Uh, I was probably a little bit spoilt because um, I either got uh, clothes off my cousins or most of my clothes were, were new uh, but my sisters it was always hand-me-down so I was lucky being one the only boy in the house and, and having seven sisters but um, you know you used to spend all your time uh, in the neighborhood uh, you'd be playing cricket in the summer you'd be playing all types of sports uh, in the in the winter but predominantly rugby league um, I was pretty lucky that I lived next door to my cousins so they had eight in their family as well uh, but they had six boys and two girls. So as you can imagine, I, I spent the majority of my time uh, over in their backyard uh, playing, as I said, sport. And then, you know, what tended to happen back in those days and the street that we lived in, there was just kids everywhere. Uh, and if there was a game of cricket on, everyone would be out on the on the roads playing the game of cricket or on the front lawns. Uh, a game of football, the same thing. And, and it and you'd have, you know, you'd have 15, 20 people aside. Uh, there was 40 or 50 kids in the street where we grew up. Um, oh, that might be exaggerating a bit, but I reckon there were about 30 kids. 
Um, and it'd get to the stage where you'd have more than 13 aside. You'd have 15, 16 aside. And what about your dad, Laurie? You've, I think, referred to him in interviews as, uh, as one of your best mates, if not your best friend. You, you lost him, what, a decade ago now. What was your relationship like with your dad? Yeah, I had a, st- a strong relationship with my father. Um, you know, he was a, um, a guy that worked hard to give us uh, a great opportunity and a great start in life. Um, they sacrificed a lot as a family. Um, Dad was not a sportsman. Um, Dad used to love playing guitar uh, and he was in a band uh, when he was younger. Um, didn't seem he play a lot of junior sport because obviously he was always out working. Um, and then it was difficult to take kids to uh, all our sporting events, so they had to share it around. And a lot of time I'd go with my cousins to the, to the football. Um, but I appreciated everything that he did for uh, us as a, as a family uh, and the sacrifices he made. And then as we got older um, and you spent uh, more time with him, um, you just learnt and appreciated um, everything that you were able to, to get out of life. Or we were able to learn um, um, you know, like things like hard work, things like appreciating your family, um, things like just being having good manners. Um, all that came from your parents. Um, so for me, my father was a massive influence uh, on us. Um, he taught me, um, uh, you know, having a hard work ethic, um, um, you know, always being uh, engaging with whoever you're, you're talking to, always be respectful of people. Uh, and more importantly, look after your family, look after your friends. Um, and we developed a really good relationship uh, as the years went on. Um, I, I know he was extremely proud of all of us um, as, as, as we, we grew up. Um, I was the lucky one, I suppose, in the family that, that I got to play sport and my family got to help um, support and get great satisfaction out of watching me run around on, on a football field. Um, but dad would get just as much satisfaction as, you know, having one of the, the girls come over or, you know, when they started to have kids, my older sisters had kids, um, you know, looking after the, the grandchildren and, and spoiling them. Um, but, yeah, no, he was a, he's a wonderful, a wonderful man, um, someone that I miss uh, greatly. And, you know, but I always have great memories of him and, and I always tell stories to people about him. And that's my way of sort of remembering him and, and keeping his memory alive. And one of those stories is the fact that you used to ring him, I think, and when you were mowing the lawn because you never knew what petrol to put in the lawnmower. <laughs> he would always say to me, uh, Nick, uh, what are you doing? Because I would ring him all the time and it was a two-stroke, um, was a d- d- diesel or whatever it was. I, I just... I, that's one of the things I missed when, when he passed away was just having a simple phone call like that or, um, you know, how, how do I change a tyre, Dad? You know, um, all the little things in life that you take for granted that you, you you know you can ring someone and your father's always there to help you out, they're the little things that, that I missed. Obviously, the interaction and going and, you know, give him a hug and all that type of thing you missed as well. But just, just the day-to-day things that you come across or... Um, you know, if, if something happened to, to my car, what do you think I should do? Or, um, you know, if the mower was, wasn't working properly, you know, what do you think it would, would be? Is it a spark plug? Is it, is it the fuel? It's just little things like that. So it always, always give me a bit of a, bit of a, uh, a laugh, but it also, uh, 
I, I always manage to remind myself that, geez, that's what I miss, miss ringing dad and just having a chat about nothing, to be honest with you. You just chat about nothing, but you still have a laugh um, and you'd always leave with a bit of a, a smile on your face and always left with a, with a, with a positive, um, you know, talking about life and, and being appreciative of what you got. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. They are special relationships. So you've you've talked about some of the things that uh, you got from your dad. What about um, what about your mum, a proud Indigenous woman? Are, are you still learning about your Indigenous um, heritage? Yeah, I, I think um, for me in particular, I, I, I'm always learning. And, and one of the things that I've I've learned because sometimes you feel as though I sh- you know I should know a lot more. Um, and when I started coaching the Indigenous All-Stars, I remember um, sitting in a room and we had some elders come in and start to talk to us and they were talking about how, um, you know, how much you know about your your Indigenous heritage. And, you know, they said, you know, on a scale of one to ten, if you're ten, you know, stand up here and if you're, if you're one, you know, you're down here and, and don't be embarrassed where you are and, I sort of started to get down to, you know, around the twos and and, and, and one area um, and to have a guy like Jonathan Thurston um, sort of just down near me, I, I thought, wow, you know, JT's a, a, another guy that, yes, we knew we are Indigenous, but in terms of going out there and really digging deep into um, your, your heritage and, and knowing and, and understanding a lot more about it, uh, that's what I've certainly been able to do over the, over the last probably 10 years. Um, and it's something that when I was playing football, I knew, but I didn't know a great deal about. Yes, I knew I was Indigenous, um, but I didn't, you know, feel like I, I had to be out there, um, you know, wearing, you know, the Aboriginal flag on my back or, um, you know, to, to prove to anyone that, that, that I was Aboriginal. It just never sort of hit home to me that I had to sort of get around talking to people like that. Um, I was proud of who I was and, and proud of what I uh, was able to achieve as a footballer. And I always thought that people just judged you on what you did rather than on your race. Um, but as I've got older and I've learnt more about um, our, our background and, and our history, um, it obviously interests me a lot more. But you're still finding out a lot about it even in today's environment, which I think is, is so important. So because of your fame... Um do you feel any sort of responsibility uh, to be a leader in that space for young Indigenous men and women? Is that a responsibility that, that falls with you? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, Nick, because um, you, you've got to feel um, the passion and you've got to feel as though you can make a difference and you be a, a leader. But a leader can look different. Uh, uh, look like many things. Um, you know, you can be a, a leader through actions. You can be a leader through words. You can be a leader um, through just getting things done but behind the scenes. Um, so, so for me, if I feel strongly and passionately about some, something and, and people ask me what my stance on things are, um, then, yeah, I, I give a, an honest opinion. But I'm not one that would go out of my way to get involved in stuff. But I know there's, there's things that are right and are wrong. And if I feel strongly enough about those circumstances or those points, then I'll certainly get, get involved in it. Um, you know, but, but with young Indigenous kids, 
they certainly need to be guided um, and they need to have good role models and they, and they need to know that they can achieve just as much as or more than anyone um, and, and if they're prepared to sort of work hard and if they get an opportunity, make the most of it. Um, there's nothing holding us back. Um, no one should tell you, you you can't achieve what you want to be able to do. If, if you're prepared to work hard and make sacrifices along the way and get, get given an opportunity, then you will have that success. And does it feel to you like there's a, a moment in time happening at the moment with the, with the Black Lives Matter rallies that have been going on, not just here in Australia, of course, but around the world and what we've seen unfold in America? Do you get the sense that this is a, a pivotal moment? Yeah, I think um, with the movement that's happening um, around the world, I think it's sort of come to a stage where everyone just wants to see the discussion take place. Uh, And I think in the past we've always been about, yeah, 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 it's happened, but we'll we'll move on and we'll come back to it. Uh, And this has given everyone now a platform to see what's happened and to – look at what's occurred and let's work on a plan forward. Uh, Let's have the discussion uh, that Indigenous people are facing. Let's have the discussion about why are more Indigenous people in jail? Why are more Indigenous people dying in custody? Uh, Let's talk about national anthems. Uh, Let's talk about uh, closing the gap. Uh, So there's a lot of issues that are there, but they just haven't been addressed uh, in the right fashion. Um, and, and I think now with what's happening around the world, this is a way of voicing um, their concerns and saying, hey, let's, let's, let's be mature about this and let's look at ways to find a way forward and, and listen to what our people have to say uh, and, and, and discuss the way that they're feeling because they've, they've, they've you know, they haven't been prepared to listen, I suppose, and, and, and feel, um, you know, how, how Indigenous people have been treated and how they're feeling at the moment. Um, and there's all that frustration there and they want to be heard and they want to tell their story and they want people to listen and they want action. Um, so I think that that's where it's sort of getting to at the moment. And I think no one wants to be divisive. You know, I, 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 I certainly don't want to be divisive. I want us to all come together to make Australia a much better place, a much harmonious, a happier place, a more harmonious and, and everyone working together and everyone supporting one another. Yeah, it seems like a really important moment and a, and a moment uh, not to be wasted. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's uh, talk about the early days of your, your playing career. Um, so what were you, 16 when you signed for Canberra? I think you were still 18 when you played your first your first rep game, City v Country. It all happened at a very young age for you. Who were the, the mentors, the leaders around uh, around you at that stage? Um, well, I played with Canberra and I was a 17-year-old 
uh, young boy when I made my debut for the Raiders and Wayne Bennett was in charge along with Don Ferner at the time and, you know, walking into a dressing shed as a young boy from Juneau, seeing guys like uh, Mal Meninga and Gary Belcher, who, who of course were playing State of Origin for Australia, to walk into the same dressing shed as them uh, and just to sit there and think, wow, what am I doing here? A little little boy from the country and all of a sudden you're, you're mingling and training with these type of guys. Um, and, and then... Um, you know, you, you'd go and train with them. You didn't really have a lot to do with them. Um, and then I was given an opportunity in first grade. And, and the more first grade then you play, the more you spend time with these guys. And then, you know, you watch and you learn. And it wasn't only those guys that I was learning off. There was guys like Dean Lance, who had been a veteran and played for Newtown and been at Canberra Raiders for a number of years, um, that was such a professional player. Um, you'd see... Um, him training on a Tuesday night when he could hardly run um, and his knees were no good, but he wanted to get out there because he was a leader and, and train and, and, and show this is the, uh, the Raiders way. This is what you do. You, you, you get out there even when you can't and, and, and lead by example and, and show that, um, you know, <laughs> no shortcuts uh, in this game. Um, so I was lucky that when I came into this, Craig Bellamy was another person um, Ashley Gilbert, these type of guys were um, not representative players, but they were hardworking. Um, they'd been there since day one, um, hadn't had a lot of success early, but it was starting to change. And it was starting to change on the back of the inclusion of some key guys from Queensland. Peter Jackson was another guy that came down. Um, Gary Belcher, obviously Mel Meninga was there, Sam Bacco, Steve Walters. These guys started to come in from Canberra and they uh, come, come in from Queensland and you had that mix of older guys there that had come through, not a lot of success, but they worked hard together. And on the back of that, then you had the likes of Bradley Clyde, Ricky Stewart, Glenn Lazarus and myself uh, coming through. So it was sort of a recipe that was always going to work because they got everything right and all the stars aligned. Um, and then we just had a successful period. But, um, yeah, all those senior players that I mentioned um, were all great leaders for the club and showed us the way and showed us what being an NRL first-grade player looked like. Uh, are you saying that just at that moment, it was like a moment in time because um, you won a couple of premierships very early on, didn't you? And, and mm. uh, that must have had a lot to do with the culture as well? Yeah, we were very lucky that we had a guy, um, well, first of all, when I first arrived, that Don Ferner and Wayne Bennett were the coaches. Uh, then Don moved on and Wayne left the club after one year to go back and coach the Broncos. But then Tim Sheens um, arrived and and Tim brought with him a different method. Um, but he was a guy that was good for us at the time because he was a very uh, – uh, well, he was an innovator, really gave us a great understanding of how how a game should be played. And when you put a game plan together, this is what you're trying to do um, to the opposition. So he was the first guy for me that actually broke down a game and it became clear in my mind what we were able to achieve and why this was the type of plan we had in place. Um, and he could analyse an opposition like no one else. The, the other key for me playing in a wonderful team is that you've got to have great camaraderie and you've got to be able to get on with one another. And I think that was the advantage of living in Canberra in those days is, is because you, you spend all your time together. Um, you'd socialize together, you train together and you became great mates. 
Um, all the successful sides that I played with um, all had that ingredient. They were good friends. Um, I'm guessing a lot of that socialising happened at the private bin. <laughs> favourite nightclub, favourite <laughs> nightclub, the private bin. Many many an hour spent at the private bin. Um, they used to be a, a sponsor uh, of the club, and it was you can always guarantee that you'd run into a raider. And then after the raiders obviously started, uh, the Brumbies came into the competition. Uh, then you'd run into the Brumbies players. When the Raiders were going well, the Brumbies were having success, and the whole town um, gravitated towards both those both those um, franchises, and and it basically was like feeding off one another. So if the Raiders had success and the Brumbies having success, everyone felt had success, and and the and the and the, and the town was pumping. So eighty nine, you win the premiership. Uh, you played State of Origin that year too, I think. Nineteen ninety, uh, you played for Australia for the first time. The Raiders, Raiders were premiers again. Uh, you went on a kangaroo tour. What was that period of time like? Because you're still a young bloke, right? Yeah. Uh, well, it was quite surreal, uh, Nick, to be perfectness, because I-, I was lucky enough to go on that ninety kangaroo tour, and that was, and I, I was twenty years of age, and I'd won my second premiership by the time I was twenty. Um, and then to play for Australia, which I did earlier that year in 1990 uh, in parks, but to go on a kangaroo tour, you know, and, and spend nine, ten weeks away from home as a, as a 20-year-old man travelling around England and France was just out of this world. And I can remember watching the 82 and 86 kangaroo tours in June, and I can remember setting my alarm as a kid, getting up to watch that, watching those matches. And here I was on a plane to England to represent Australia against Great Britain on a kangaroo tour. I just couldn't believe it. It's funny how you have, um, you know, those surreal moments, like when you're travelling on a bus around England playing for Australia and you just have a moment where you're sitting there thinking, geez, wow, I'm, I'm on a bus here with all these players on a kangaroo tour. Can you believe <laughs> it? Can you believe what I'm actually doing? And all the way sort of through, I suppose, in particular early in my career, I used to sort of just have moments like that um, where you just sit back and think, wow, how good is this? Something I've always wanted to do. Never thought I'd be good enough, but here I am. Yeah, but see, that's, that's actually really important, is it, that, that you still had that in you, that you could still understand uh, the enormity and, and, and the, the, the good fortune of what you were doing, I guess. It's, that's a quality in itself. Yeah, well, I, th- I think you're right, um, Nick. I, it, it's amazing that, you know, you, you think about everyone that's played the game and everyone wants to play for Australia, um, and then you go, wow, I, I've actually one of the lucky ones to be able to do that. And I've never, ever taken it for granted. I've never taken playing for Australia um, or state of origin. It was always about just wanting to be the best I could um, and, and try and win as many games or as many competitions, play as many test matches as I could. It, it's, it was a great ride, met so many wonderful people. I was able to play um, for my country uh, and captain my country and, and my state. Um, and I, I don't think there, there was a bigger honour for me um, to be able to achieve. Phil Gould recently named you uh, the greatest player in New South Wales origin history. You were his captain. He said he wasn't even sure whether you really wanted to be captain. Did you want to be captain at that time? Um, well, it was a bit of a shock, to be honest with you, Nick, because Ben Elias was, was captain and, you know, we had all these big-name players and I was a young guy that basically I only played four games of State of Origin. 
Um, and then, you know, you, you, you're lining up with with all the big-name New South Wales players. Uh, and then Phil Gould uh, says to me, I want you to be captain. And I said, me? And he said, yeah, you. He said, I think you've got the right qualities. I think you can bring this group together. You're what we need at this particular point in time. Um, and I said, well, what about, you know, some of the senior players? He said, what about them? And I said, oh, how, how, will, how will they feel? And he said, well, um, that's something that I'll address. He said, but are you comfortable being able to do it? I said, well, it's an honour. I said, I don't know, but I said, I'll give it a crack. And he said, that's the boy. <laughs> he said, uh, I think you can do a, a, a fine job. Um, he said, I know you'll inspire this group. And he said, I know they'll, they'll support you and rally behind you. Um, and I went, wow, right up. Um, and I think that just gave me the confidence. And again, I was, I was still reluctant. And you're reluctant to, to speak up because you think that people would be you know, maybe second guessing you or, or thinking, gee, what is he? What has this young bloke got that, that I haven't got, you know, if you're one of those experienced players? And and then for me, it was all about just trying to lead through my actions. So I wasn't a great um, talker at the start. It was more about, hey, I'm going to train hard and when I get out of that pitch, um, I'm just going to do everything in my power and I'm going to do things that I I wouldn't ask of anyone else, Um so I just sort of rolled the sleeves up and just had a crack. Did you know much about leadership or was it kind of like that? that's just no. the way you were and you were, you were just going to go out and do what you thought was right? Did anybody yeah. really guide you through yeah, that? Yeah, no, it, it's funny with leadership. Um, you know, some players uh, know what leadership's about. Others don't. Some people learn leadership. Other people are, um, you know, just naturally have leadership qualities. Uh, everyone is completely different. For me, um, I knew that I couldn't stand in front of that group and start talking to them what needed to be done about state of origin because I hadn't proven myself at that level and I hadn't played a lot of football. But I knew the only way I could prove it to them was to show them uh, the actions that I want everyone um, um, to be able to to, to follow um, and I wanted them to know that I was prepared to do everything I could for my teammates and I'd be there all the way supporting them and I'll have their back. Um, so if someone needed to carry the ball from a 20-metre restart, basically showing to the team that, hey, what, what's this guy doing? He's taking a 20-metre tap here. He's carrying the ball into the forwards. That's probably not his role. Um, and that was sort of my way of trying to send a message or to inspire people. And then the more games I played and the more success we had, then I felt comfortable being able to sit there and talk to a group um, about what was required because they knew that what I was talking about, I would do for them. I wasn't just making it up. Oh, big shoulder! Warren Daly on the front row, Andrew G. Polak. And a couple of years later, um, when the Super League war broke out too, I mean, in a sense, you were a leader in that, whether you wanted to be or not, because you were... Should we call it an early adopter of the, the concept? You signed on pretty early, didn't you? So, so yeah. all of a sudden you became a face for it. Yeah, and that was um, that was well, funny times now when you look back um, and it caused a lot of damage to the game, obviously, and um, there was a lot of uh, fallout from that. Um, but at, at the time we were, we were faced with some decisions that we had to make as a club and both individually. Um, and I still talk about it to this day. Uh, it was an easy decision um, for us personally 
because the amount of money that was offered to us at that particular stage compared to what we were getting um, was it was just out of this world. Um, and it was it was quite easy for us to to make that that decision. Now having you know, time to reflect and think about it all. You think, well, you know, was it all worth the the pain and suffering that it, that it caused the game? Could it have turned out a lot better? Could you have earned the same amount of money if if uh, you didn't do what you did? Um, but that's all in hindsight. Uh, can't change what's happened. Um, it 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 it. Yeah, we we would have loved to have um, you know turned out differently, but it, it didn't. Uh, unfortunately, we went down a path with Super League. Um, the NRL came back, or the ARL and Super League eventually came back after a year apart. Um, and from there, the game sort of learnt um, a lot, I reckon, in that stage. Um, a lot about themselves, a lot about the players, um, and worked on strategies, um, how to take the game forward. And, and I think they did that very well. Um, again, you know, you look back and think of some of the things that you were involved in, you think, well, you know, you could have handled that differently, but you can't change the past. But I remember, I mean, I, I reported on a lot of that, Loz, and I remember that you were demonised along with some of your Canberra teammates as well, and people thought you were, you some people thought you were greedy and yeah. you'd just done it for the money, and that, uh, I imagine, would have affected you personally. How did you make your way through yeah, that? Yeah, it was... It was uh... It was okay, actually, Nick. To be to be quite honest with you, because um, it, it, it's always funny uh, when people say that you're greedy, and because most people, you you got to earn money and you got to live. And I see nothing wrong um, with people um, being able to um, earn as, as much as they can. Um, and if you're a rugby league player, you've only got so many years to play the game. So I'm accepting that, you know, players will change clubs and players will always look after themselves. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and at that particular time, for us, it, it was about uh, the money. Um, and it's always easy when you're on the outside to be critical. Um, but as I say, if you're a, um, you know, work at the Commonwealth Bank and, and you're earning $50,000 a year and, Someone said to you, well, at, you know, the NAB Bank, well, we want you to come and work for a million dollars a year or $700,000 a year. I think I had to do the same job. I, I think I know what most people would do. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and I think it, it, it's, it's, it's always easy on the outside to say, oh, well, you should be loyal and you should be able to do this. But sometimes when you're in a situation and, you're, and, and, and facts are presented to you and you sit there and go, wow, uh, that's one offer and this is another offer. Um, where am I going to go? Um, then it becomes quite clear what decision you're going to make. So then uh, you retire, what, 2000, wasn't it? And it, it was probably always on the cards that uh, you'd get the coaching itch at some stage, uh, but never a club, always representative footy. I had an opportunity to go and work in the media and I thought that that would be the path for me. But you always have that, that coaching bug and that desire and you always feel as though you've got something to bring to the table as a coach. Um, so I never got uh, into coaching full-time. Um, I did some consultancy work uh, for a couple of clubs, um, and I really enjoyed that. And then I coached some representative teams. I coached Country of Origin, uh, the Indigenous side, and 
Uh, I spent a couple of years coaching, five years coaching New South Wales. So I, I enjoyed it all um, and, and loved it. Um, but in terms of doing it day to day, seven days a week, 24-7, um, I, I, I don't think I could do that and be able to um, have a – as the best way to put this, <laughs> have a happy family as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it because is, it's, it, it it's is, all it's encompassing, a, it's a big isn't ask. it? Yeah, it is. It's a it's a big ask, Nick. It's a it's twenty four seven, and you're dealing with players, and you're dealing with members, and you're dealing with um, you know, boards, and you're and you're dealing with a lot of other things other than just hands on coaching. The hands on coaching bit is the best, but then it's all the other aspects of coaching um, around it. Um, which some people struggle with. Your first year uh, in charge of New South Wales as coach, you won Origin, uh, and it was uh, the first uh, win for a very long time. Yeah, we were we were um, lucky uh, because we were underdogs, as we were most times we played Queensland and that wonderful Queensland team. But um, that year, we, a lot of our game was just based on efforts. Um, and knowing that we wouldn't be outworked by the opposition. Um, and that was something that we spoke consistently about. Um, and, and the guys delivered. Um, and then we had uh, a guy like Jared Hayne who could produce some magic plays for us. Uh, and he was the best player in the game at that point in time. Um, and yeah, we, we were able to beat that magnificent Queensland side. And um, you know, I can remember the first game up there in Queensland. For the last 20 minutes, our line was just constantly getting attacked and we constantly repelled them with our defence. And it was some of the most courageous efforts I've seen. Blokes just putting their body on the line, guys that were busted that just picked their bodies up, got themselves back in the defensive line and made that one last effort. And that's what we always spoke about, one last effort. You know, When you think you've got nothing else to give, you can find something, you've got to find it. Uh, and that's what they did that night. And then they did it again in Sydney. Um, and it was it was a, a great night. And I, I really felt for the players because there was a number of players in that group that had consistently been um, criticised and uh, for their performances and, and criticised that, you know, why are you continually picking the same players? Um, but they were the best players we had um, at that particular moment in time. And we we're always competitive against Queensland, but unfortunately Queensland would always have the edge in that tight situation, a, a Lockyer or a Slater or a Smith um, or a Thurston, someone like that would just do something special to, to turn the game around for Queensland. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a magic time and, and something that uh, I'll always uh, remember. Um, I want to talk to you about the difference in leadership between being a captain and being a coach. And I've got some audio. This is courtesy of Channel 9. It's you and uh, a pre-match talk to your New South Wales team. Friday, how important is it to stop in on our left edge? He's their go-to man. He's the one they're looking for for a fast play the ball. All right. If he runs, he's a surrender. All right. We hold. We squeeze, we lock on, we hold. And if you're near the referee, you're talking to him about dropping. Him dropping as a surrender. Firstly, Loz, kudos to you for allowing that to go to air. uh, That's great access. Secondly, it would seem that leadership as a coach is totally different to that as a captain because you can't just simply go out and inspire and lead by your actions. 
Yeah, that, that's the challenge uh, of a coach and the, and the challenge to get used to because as a player, you get to have a major say in the outcome of a contest. As a coach, you can do so much, but then you rely on other people. Um, and uh, that, that's it's tough. And you've got to make sure that you give the players the best preparation. And it comes down to a bit of luck and, and it comes down to their, their desire, their want, their, their attitude um, to, to get the job done. Um, you know, and, you, and you've got to have those players, the special players that can, can create something when it's uh, in that moment where it's an arm wrestle and you're looking for someone to, to do something special. Um, you need to have a player like that in your team that can produce a big moment. Um, I think all sports at some stage is always a one moment in a game that's the turning point and that team that's able to produce it um, usually goes on and gets the job done. Um, and, and that's the frustrating thing as a coach. You can do all the right things, um, but if there's, if there's two teams going at it uh, and two teams fully committed, uh, it then comes down to the game breakers and uh, some of those game breakers at our particular time when I was coaching we're on the opposition. Yes, that Queensland side in that era, some of the best players to have ever played the game. Um, Laurie, over the last few weeks, the likes of Bronson Cherry, Josh Reynolds, they've been in the headlines for the wrong reasons. You've been very outspoken about the culture in rugby league over the years. Uh, how would you assess where it is at the moment? Well, I think it's constantly evolving. Um, and I think, you know, with the amount of work and education that rugby league now put into these players... Um, it's, it's hard to believe that some still find themselves uh, getting themselves in, in trouble. Um, but I think we are always going to find that minority um, that will um, you know, create the bad headlines um, for the game. The majority of people that I know involved in the game are excellent, um, but you also know that you'll always have um, an uh, you know, other, some people that, that, are, that are pushing boundaries and probably pushing it, it too far. I, I think players are now more well-educated um, more than ever. Um, they're aware of their responsibility um, and the game can only do so much. It, it, it's about the players taking responsibility and it's not taking responsibility for your performance on the field. You're going to take responsibility as a professional athlete. If you want the big money and you want to be paid and treated like a professional athlete, you've got to conduct yourself like one. Um, and that's what you do when you when you sign up. Um, if, if you Once you realise that and, and the conditions that come with that, you've got to be committed to it. Um, but I think some people just think that, oh, well, now that I've played football, I can, you know, I still don't have to you know, follow these type of rules. So I can, I can go and do X, Y, and Z. But unfortunately, in the world we live in, um, that's not the way. It, that was probably the way when I first started out in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, because everyone was working and football was part-time, uh, semi-professional. But times have changed now. It's full-time. That's your job. That's your work. You're representing yourself. You're representing your club. You're representing the game. Um, and with that comes responsibilities. Indeed. And, uh, and just to finish off, you must be loving to get up as early as you do every morning you must be loving uh, your work on the big sports breakfast and i know that you've always enjoyed your media commitments um is that what you see as as your future for many years now um i, I certainly enjoy uh working on the big sports breakfast nick um 
I don't enjoy getting up at four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> um, but I enjoy the interaction you still get. You still get to have a voice. You still get to talk about sport. Uh, sport I'm very passionate about, in particular rugby league. Um, and, and again, for me, if I can be involved uh, you know, in sport in some way, shape or form, because that's my passion, that's what I love doing, um, then, then I'll be involved in it as long as I possibly can. Um, so again, I don't know how long my ride will last uh, being involved in the media, um, but I certainly make the most of it while I'm here. Um, I have fun every day, and I think that's so important. Um, and if because if you have fun going to work, it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like you're going to meet up with your mates and discuss football, have a yarn about it, and and yeah, it just doesn't feel like work at all. Um, so for me, I'm 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 glad that I'm still involved in the game in this particular shape um, because. It gives me an, an outlet uh, to express my opinion. Um, it gives me an opportunity to still watch games, dissect games, uh, still meet up with people inside the game, uh, reconnect with friendships, uh, and it's also a way of, of, of giving back. Um, I, I just love it. I love all sports, but obviously rugby league is my passion, and and um, I just yeah enjoy enjoy talking about it. Sounds pretty good to me. Laurie Daly, always good to catch up with you. Thanks for joining us on the Playmakers Playbook. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. All the best, mate. Laurie Daly on this week's Playmakers Playbook, a member of the Indigenous Team of the Century. He was also named as one of the 100 greatest players in league's first 100 years. The Playmakers Playbook is brought to you by Build Corp, where great teams are built on shared values. It's available wherever you get your favourite podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Deezer. Make sure you subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And as always, if you like what you've heard today, give us a five-star rating or simply tell a friend. I look forward to your company next week on the Playmakers Playbook. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.